Welcome to the JMS Podcast with me, Jorge M. Sanchez. Here we go. All right. We got another episode. Today's episode is the 143rd episode. And wow, we're almost towards the end of the season. Uh, and before the season ends, can you please subscribe? Please, please, the cherry on top, can you subscribe on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher Radio, on Google Play, and on Overcast, and there's a cast box, and if you could review the podcast, that would be even better. That would be awesome. That would be amazing. That would be outstanding. You can also follow the JMS Podcast on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out the gmspodcast.com website for all the available content right there at your fingertips. Your keyboard's in front of you. If it's not, you can pull it out even on your phone. Your phone has a little keyboard and you can just type in jmspodcast at gmail.com. Even better, if you'd like to donate to the JMS Podcast, you definitely can at Patreon. I have recently updated the rewards and uh, I think they're pretty good. I think they're pretty worth it. Any little bit, if it's a dollar a month, awesome. If it's $5 a month, even better. If it's $15 a month, well, guess what? You have your name as a sponsor on the website, and you have a lot of other perks as well. So check it out. Go to patreon.com and search for JMS Podcast. All right, before we go to the um, rest of the episode, I have a special announcement. And that is that it is official now that the JMS Podcast is holding its very first art show this Saturday on March 10th at 6 p.m. at Local Color. Local Color have been more than uh, helpful and friendly putting this together. And uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Kristen over there. She's the event coordinator. And I also got to give a shout out to the JMS Podcast event coordinator, coordinator uh, Donna Steelman. They're both doing awesome jobs. So on March 10th, five artists who were on the podcast, it is Yolanda Guerra, Leah J, Julie Meridian, Joseph Arruda, and Francisco Ramirez. They're going to showcase some of their art, and then we're going to have a Q&A panel moderated by yours truly. That's right. Would you like to see me live in person? Because you're like, I really got to see how this voice looks like, and, and whether it's really a good face of podcasting. And, uh, and I would be happy to meet you all as well. Coming out on March 10th at Local Color for the very first GMS Podcast Art Show. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you can even ask some questions at the Q&A. There will be a segment towards the end that will be open up to the public. It is free. It is for all ages. We will have refreshments. And it's going to be, once again, I, I can't you know say enough. That's going to be a lot of fun. So once again, Saturday, March 10th at 6 p.m. at Local Color in downtown San Jose. Go on Facebook. The event page is on there with all the extra details you need to know about many other things. All right, and on that note, let's continue on to a segment of Exhibit This with Miranda Caravallo. Uh, Before we um, continue on, I do got to advise you guys that uh, Miranda Caravallo, she is a good friend of mine. We've been friends for uh, for lots of years, and um, it is no secret that me and her we openly talk about mental illness, about our own mental illness. And uh, as of recently, uh, she had a bit of an episode in which she wanted to talk about it here on the podcast because it is related to a exhibit she checked out in Santa Cruz. It is the spoken unspoken exhibit in Santa Cruz, and it really gave a profound. 
um, outlook to her that really helped her get through her hard time recently. So uh, it, it does get a little deep, and it, it does get um, emotional, and it gets interesting. So I, I hope you guys enjoyed. It. It's a great exhibit to check out, and we'll tell you all the details real soon. And after that, we will have a look into a conversation with Holly Van Hart. Holly Van Hart, gosh, she's awesome. I can't say enough. I'll tell you more about her after we exhibit this. And here we go. Another episode of Exhibit This with Miranda Caravallo. How, back it? from the dead. Back from the dead, Miranda. How you doing? Bad. Badly. <laughs> I guess we're hanging in there. Yeah. Um, I, I saw an exhibit that I'm going to talk about today, uh, but then production got pushed up more because I spent a week in a psych ward. Hmm. Well, I'm happy that you're out and I'm happy you're here. I was going to throw myself in a river. That was my plan. Hmm. Box in my pockets. And I will say to anyone who feels like they may be in a psych ward or going to one don't drink the coffee don't drink the coffee the coffee tastes i don't know how it tastes like brown it tastes like the color brown <laughs> uh oh <laughs> it tastes like hot brown that's some good knowledge i think a lot of our listeners are actually listening in from the local psych ward so i think that these are good tips for them <laughs> we to do, have we do have a local psych ward i was in, i was my the ward was literally five minutes away from my house Oh, nice. Yeah, so That's we, convenient. It right? is. It was massively convenient. <laughs> Just walk in there. You know, it's a quick walk over. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, it was a su- super fun time. And it's, it is it is oddly, um, it does have a connection to uh, the exhibit that I saw, which was at the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History, kind of branching out here. Uh, and it was called uh, Spoken Slash Unspoken. But yeah, I'm looking at it now at the page, and the spoken slash unspoken stories on living and dying. Yeah, there we go. It was uh, an audio exhibit where uh, pretty much they went to, where did they go? They went to, I thought it said, oh, uh, Hospice of Santa Cruz County and recorded stories from the patients there. And then this man, uh, Lanier Sammons, uh, used the audio and crafted music based on their voices and their intonations and stuff and combined it. So you go in there and there's a lot of, um, you know, pillows and uh, they have they have uh, written transcripts of what everyone said. And you just hear, you listen to this music and you uh, hear these stories by people. Are you familiar with hospice care, Jorge? Uh, I knew that's where people go when they're like, they're on the way out. Yeah. They're clocking out. Yeah. And they're, I guess that's the most comfortable place for them to clock out. People don't want to die at home or if like their kids don't want them around i don't know um it's it's ooh, that's oops uh it's it's an alternative to uh a lot of sort of desperate end of the line surgeries as opposed to getting for for people who are uh in old age or dying of certain diseases uh instead of uh fighting it it's possible to just go to this care uh hospice care i believe can be done in the home mm-hmm. uh or in certain hospice residencies. Um, and it's pretty much a way to die with dignity. There's a book on hospice care that I read called Dying Well by Dr. Ira Bayok. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, that talks about stories of different hospice patients, and it, it charts um, our perspectives on death. Now, how does this I work? Pic- I did pictures this of audio. This is an yeah. audio exhibit, right? But it has transcripts of what everyone said, and I, I snapped some photos of a few lines that oh. I really liked. Um, oh, and there's also uh, out of, in front because you know it's the combination of turning. Ah, there we go. I, I found my thread again. Uh, it was turning their words and their voices into music. They had this um, piece of paper uh, that has this list at the top. Says what matters most to you, and it says things like family, physical health, nature, cultural identity. And you take a hole puncher and you punch on one side. Or the other, or somewhere in the middle, it's the spectrum low to high. Yeah, you could see it. Okay. So really it's, great audio. It's, like a, it's a big strip of, uh, of paper that has questions, and and you hole punch? Yeah. From one side to the other, depending on how important the, the subject matter is to you. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, you feed it into a music box. Yeah. So you can actually hear, um, you can hear your identities and your values put to music. It's very interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like the tune of your life in some way? Yeah, so I want to say, if you could, like, if your life was music, what do you think it would sound like? Mm. For me, I hopefully something more bluesy. Uh, that'd be nice. But uh, going back to this, like, so it's a variety of of interviews, and the only thing really displayed are the transcripts of the words. Yeah, and you hear everything else. Is there a common motif or theme? Uh, well, it's all answering that one question. Like, what what do you wish? Uh, what do you wish you've said? What do you wish you've done? Like, this is um, like this one. This quote from Bonnie said, "I wish I could say I love you to more people." Hmm. So, like, regrets, essentially. Yeah. Mm. It was he- definitely... I gotta say, that if you see this exhibit, which I hope you do, it, it it's till, it's up till March 25th, and it's it's definitely very interesting. I think the ideal way to say it, see it is when you really, really want to die. <laughs> well, so you find it inspirational? I, it was comforting. Mm-hmm. I guess hospice care, it, it used to be kind of grim or a little frightening to me, but... It, it it really is about our relationships to death, and a lot of medical care is about keeping away death for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, hospice care is about seeing it as, as normal and natural and comfortable. Right, right. There's Especially in Western uh, culture, there is a certain fear of death. I don't know if there's a correlation of the way our culture is built. Uh, because I, I notice a lot of other cultures don't see death as a very connotative uh, uh, description. It's more about like you know moving on, carrying on, almost yeah. almost like a noble thing. You're, you're changing your ways and you're giving back to the earth. But there's something about you know our culture currently where it's like you got to work as much as you can before you die. Because once you die, you can't do shit and it's too late. So I have t- two separate points. The first is that I uh, in the wood I read I finally read the entirety of Slaughterhouse Five. Uh, by Kurt Vonnegut oh, the, yeah. for another book suggestion. Have the, you seen the movie? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The first time I read it, I got halfway through and liked it so much that I gave it to another friend for him to read. Before, before finishing <laughs> before yourself? Before finishing it. <laughs> but it felt very fitting reading Vonnegut in the ward. And um, you, Slaughterhouse-Five is about uh, a man, Billy Pilgrim, who becomes unstuck in time. Uh, and at one point, he's abducted by a race of aliens called the Tra- Traflamidorians. 
who see every moment in time is happening at the same time. Um, so in their in their culture, um, death, like they don't understand why people grieve of death because death, a person's just gone in a few moments, but there are other moments, plenty of other moments where they're still very much alive, which is why they say so it goes and that that has the same response to death. And otherwise, other, other, other point uh, is that this whole thing does kind of tie into a reoccurring theme whenever we get into conversations because I know it's something we think about a lot, which is legacy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, going back to a question you asked me is like, how do I feel about, you know, death and, and the whole notion of being ready for it? And it's like, I don't feel ready for it because I feel like I still have a lot to do. Because I feel if I don't do the things I want to do, it's like I, I'm going to be forgotten. It's all, it's kind of stupid if you think about it, but the, the idea of like being for being forgotten is both a theme that I... I, I yearn for and at the same time fear so i was i was thinking about legacy because a lot of these voices are the voices of hospice patients specifically in end of life care so it, it did kind of occur to me that a lot of these people the, these voices that i'm hearing could be from people who died well in the bigger it goes it goes back to what you're saying that at the end of the day the death of an individual really comes down to the relationships they built yeah uh, you know, some people find it daunting, but the truth is that he, everybody dies. There's no escaping it. And the idea that is that that's why you should worry less about after death and worry more, worry more about what you're doing alive and feeling productive and, and feeling like, you know, you're living life in the moment. As, as you know, cliche as that sounds, but I think it really rings true. Well, you know, my I we, we had that legacy episode segment oh, a while back uh and i remember you like i used to think like i want my legacy to be my art like the things i've created and uh, the the meaning it's had to other people and all of my plays and books and now that's definitely changed and if i was in this exhibit saying what i wish i had done at the end of my life and who i would like to be remembered for I I don't even have an answer for that anymore. Well, I don't think it's really up to you to have an answer for that. I think I think that the idea is that others would answer that for you. Isn't that a bummer? <laughs> it is. It really is. You know, but it, it goes back to that struggle of like, you know, this notion of how do others define you? And sometimes when people worry too much about that, you lose your shit. I've gone through so many phases where, like, I was I was more worried about how people thought of my films instead of concentrating on the film itself. Yeah, um, and it, it, it is a deadly trap to be in. And I would like to uh, end this by reading a quote. And unfortunately, my um, my the picture I took doesn't say the name of the person it is, and that kind of bums me up. But maybe that's for the best because hmm. then you can find out. So this is a quote from them. I want to say I don't have much longer left, and if I harmed anyone, I'm sorry. My heart is full of love for everyone. I can't think of anything better. My love is gone to everybody. I just don't know what else to say. I know I'm getting up there in years, and I know I don't have long left, but I have loved my life. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for coming, Miranda. You're welcome, Jorge.
the Spoken Unspoken Stories on Living and Dying exhibit is available currently at the Santa Cruz Museum of Art and History. The exhibit will be going on until March 25th, so you got a couple weeks to check it out. Uh, what do you think of the uh, segment? Did you go see this exhibit yourself? Please email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com and let me know all about it. Alright, let's move on with Holly Van Hart. Holly Van Hart, she is a great artist. You should really check out her website. Her website is called hollyvanhart.com. That's simple, hollyvanhart.com. She does a lot of abstract paintings, and she has some of the most beautiful abstract paintings of nature I've seen. I, I've looked up her, her website and her work, and I was really impressed by it. I was like, you know what? Is there a way I can get this person on this podcast? And it happened. It, I, was, I was really surprised because she's actually a very big deal. She Her art is featured all over the world, and she has been noticed by a variety of um, big networks and and, and such, such as Silicon Valley, Talk Art TV, and the Huffington Post, and all these great people. And it was great to know that she's locally from here, from the South Bay, and she took the time to come over to the podcast studio and, and talk it out with me. Had a great talk. I learned quite a lot of stuff, actually. And I am uh, I'm excited to uh, show it to you guys. I hope you guys take a lot from it. All right, so uh, let's go with my conversation with Holly Van Hart. Afterwards. Okay. Afterwards. Okay. See, awesome. that's how I know if a uh, conversation went good if the guest is willing to take a photo <laughs> afterwards. That's like my my, my last test, the last Sorry. test I, I offer. But I, I thank you for coming. Um, but before we do that, and, and don't worry about that. That's just the headphones. Okay. Um, you're gonna tell me when we're actually recording, like starting, or we're actually recording right now. Uh, okay. I just wanted to make sure my phone's on airplane mode. Yeah, I just did that too. So I don't get interrupted. Turn on. Are you a guitarist? Uh, trying. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's funny. Uh, do you play musician? Did you play music? Uh, no. No. I did as a kid, just a clarinet. But that's a hard instrument. Yeah. I just did it as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you have like fond memories of it or do you think was it a difficult... No, it was okay. Like it was just okay. I wasn't that much into it. So as soon as I had up my music credits, I, uh, um, you know, I stopped. Was this for high school? <laughs> yeah. High school? Yeah. Were you in band or... Yeah. 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 That's more than just credits. That's like... Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. 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 But uh, Holly, Holly Van Hart, um, I, I looked into your paintings and... Uh, be, I like how abstract that you capture nature. Thank you. And one of the ways you describe your process is that you aim to use um, unusual colors and unusual textures. What do you mean by that? Can you emphasize on that? Uh, yeah. So uh, as part of kind of the creative process and creating my abstract nature paintings, I like to uh, put some of myself into it versus just kind of copying what I see in front of me. And so to me, that means unusual colors and textures. So for example, uh, in a painting of a forest, I might use all the colors of the rainbow or, or almost all of them, uh, whereas really what you're seeing is not quite so uh, such a range of colors, mm -hmm. you know, so I just kind of make up some colors just because it would 
be interesting and liven up the painting and uh, look cool, you know. Um, and then textures, uh, I think just when you get up close to a painting, the texture can make it look like really awesome. So uh, I just try to, you know, play that up uh, when I can. Mm -hmm. So in places that you might not expect to see it. Well, where I find texture most interesting in your paintings on your landscapes. And it's funny how, or interesting I should say, how your texture to these landscapes actually kind of creates depth. Like I really get this 3D feel to it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. So the, the abstract landscapes that you're looking at uh, are done in oil paints. And uh, they're painted very thickly with a palette knife. So um, they're, it's just like super thick paint. And I don't know if you've worked with oil paints at all but they're just so beautiful and thick and buttery and you put them on the canvas and they just stay put however you uh you know put the paint on there um, i also work with acrylics which also have some really amazing properties but they're not as thick as that usually mm -hmm. so uh, you don't get the same kind of textured brush effects with acrylics so your, your preference is oil painting? Uh, I love both, you know? Yeah. yeah, every time I switch between the two, I think, oh, this is why I love acrylic so much. Or, oh, now I'm so happy to be back with oil. So it gets me reminded. <laughs> yeah, like, oh. yeah, yeah. Okay. And it seems like uh, a lot of your work has to do with nature. And I'm, I'm assuming because you're very active in nature. Yeah, I love uh, hiking, biking, mountain biking. Um, you know, on doing all of those with family and friends. So just really any excuse to be outside. And here in Northern California, we have the weather for it, you know. It's just... Were you born and raised here? No, I was born and raised in New York. Oh. Yeah, so yeah. I moved here as an adult. And what part of New York? Staten Island, New York. Oh, hey. Yeah. Whoa. Have you ever been there? No, but I heard all about it. <laughs> you seem like a very nice person. <laughs> what I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> the, uh, is there like um? I mean, of course, I'm getting this from like TV and stuff like that. But do, how was growing up in Staten Island? Ah, uh, it was great. Uh, my parents still live in Staten Island. My siblings live in New Jersey, but not too far away. Uh, it's kind of like a suburb of uh, Manhattan, even though it's Staten Island is technically part of New York City. It's kind of like a suburb. So a lot of people who live there will commute the hour or hour and a half needed to get to Manhattan to, to, to work. That's going to be so stressful. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. An yeah. hour and a half just yeah. to get to work. Right. So three hours round trip every day. Mm. What did your parents do? My dad was a police officer mm -hmm. in Brooklyn, mostly. Oh. And my mom did a variety of things. She was a teacher and also a, um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting, the legal, um, it's in the legal fields. I'm forgetting what it's called. It's not a lawyer. It's mm. not a secretary. It's kind of like in between. And um, she's also an artist. So she uh, she paints. She passed on that gene to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What yeah. kind of stuff was she painting? Uh, she did also kind of abstracted nature paintings. Totally different from each other. Um, but really what she mostly did when I was growing up was more, uh, she's Norwegian. Her parents came from Norway. So she did more kind of Norwegian folk art which is uh, really beautiful and mm. she's amazing at that and uh, taught a lot of people to do that too. She held workshops. Hmm, Norway, like a lot of Scandinavian art. It's like very like soothing to look at and relaxing. Yes, it's, um, so this is very stylized with uh, a lot of 
flowers and swirls and it's just kind of decorative mm -hmm. and you can put it on plates like often wooden wooden objects plates mm -hmm. or trunks or uh, you know anywhere was your father also Scandinavian uh, my father's side is Dutch and uh, that's where the van comes from mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the Dutch side of my family came here to the U.S. in the 1600s. Oh, wow. So we've traced that all the way back. And it was called New Amsterdam. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense, yeah. Yeah, so half of me is about as American as you can <laughs> get if you're, you know, <laughs> if you came from Europe. Right, right. <laughs> so was it a big siblings? Did you have a big family? Uh, three of us. So younger brother, younger sister. So you were the oldest. Yeah. And it seems like you really caught on to your mother's, you know, creative uh, yeah. expression uh, yeah. uh, activities. Uh, but did you notice that, you know, as you were growing up or was it till like later in life? You're like, you know, let me do some painting. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all of us uh, in our house did some kind of artistic things. And when I was a kid, I didn't specialize in painting, but I did painting. I did calligraphy and um, ceramics and painting on ceramics and, uh, you know, music, playing the clarinet and a few other visual things too, crocheting. So like I was always making things, mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't specialize in painting then. Um, and, um, you know, so and my, my brother has a hobby today. He does a lot of um, totally amazing woodworking. And my sister is a quilter. She does these uh, gorgeous abstract quilts. So all of us caught some of the bug. Yeah, <laughs> artistic yeah. Bug. Was your father creative? Yeah, you know, he's even doing some artsy kind of stuff too yeah. with, with, with woodworking now too. He, he yeah. got the bug too? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you grew up with a very creative family. Uh, but at one point, did you decide to take painting that, that extra stuff further? And ah, uh, good, good question. So well, sometimes I ask those kind of questions. <laughs> good, sometimes. usually good. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I uh, I went to college, but it wasn't for art. I went to college for engineering. Which college? Um, Rutgers College of Engineering, and then I got a master's degree at Stanford, which is what brought me out here. Mm. Um, and so uh, I did that. I became an engineer, and uh, then that was fine. I had a good job, and I liked it. In fact, I had a long career in high tech, and I it was long and good. But um, pretty much uh, as soon as I could after college, and I kind of got my grounding in uh, in the business world, and I started taking classes, so art classes in uh, drawing, uh, painting using different media. So I just started and it was a hobby and a passionate hobby for many, many years. Mm -hmm. uh, and for the last five years, I've done it full time professionally. Uh, I've been exhibiting and selling my work for about 12 years, but, but it's been full time for five. Mm. How was that culture shock coming from the East Coast to the West Coast? Uh, you know, I just totally loved it out here. So I uh, I More didn't sun. feel any. I didn't feel any shock at all. Okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> now it seems like some of your work you deal with large canvases. Yes. Uh, I, I gotta assume that's pretty intimidating because that's a lot of real estate to cover. Ah, you know, I worked my way up. So you know, I started small, and then I just got bigger and bigger. Uh, 
and the largest painting I've done is, I don't know, over seven feet wide. Um, so working my way up, then it got a little bit less intimidating. Yeah, mm. a little blank canvas is always a little bit intimidating, but more it's just kind of like exciting. Like, ooh, you get to start fresh and uh -huh. do something new. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it, it seems like also that a lot of your paintings are featured in a lot of corporate offices. Ah, uh, so a lot of, uh, so here I am in Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, we have so many uh, corporate executives around us from, you know, Facebook and LinkedIn and, um, and other uh, big, com big and small companies. And uh, yeah, a lot of those people are art aficionados, so uh, they're collectors of my work. Well, I just thought it was interesting that a lot of your work has to do with nature. And I, f I feel it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition of putting these nature-like uh, uh, paintings in a corporate world. Yes, yes. You know, my, my work is, when you look at it, it's nature, it's flowers, trees, forests, landscapes. Uh, the meaning behind it is, is more meant to express the abundance in nature and the abundance in our lives. So, uh, you know, America is, is supposed to be a place where anything is possible. And, uh, you know, for many people that can be true, you know, if you want to do something and you set your mind to it, you can make it happen. Um, and I love that part of the United States culture and especially here in Silicon Valley. It's like a super creative place. It's not like everybody is painting or playing the guitar or, you know, doing that kind of uh, creativity. But, you know, the creativity it takes to come up with these new products out of Google or, you know, Facebook, it, that's amazing too. So, um, like my work celebrates uh, creativity and the life's possibilities. Do you ever like think about like, oh, maybe my work could inspire some of these, you know, engineers on their own creative process? Yeah, do you I ever think about that. Yes, yeah, I definitely do. And then sometimes uh, somebody from tech will come to a studio or a gallery show, and they they really get it, you know, mm. uh, guys. I sometimes people think there's this huge gulf between technical people and quote-unquote creative people mm. but I don't think there's a gulf at all I think there's just like a lot of uh, overlap a lot of commonality like someone's like oh hey I designed the logo of my startup after yeah has that happened really yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um no no, no not, oh, not that directly okay. but just, the, just the concept <laughs> right you know? yeah just, just the yeah. idea yeah yeah. Like or maybe like you're hey that looks like a tree I painted or, or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Oh, yeah. so it seems like trees are a big motif in your paintings. Yeah, um, so I I've worked in series and pretty much the last five years of my life is defined as first I was uh, painting a lot of larger than life nests and. Um, then the eggs in the nest represent the the lives and the possibilities ahead for the you know the little beings that were gonna come out of those eggs. Mm -hmm. So first I painted a lot of uh, larger than life nests, and then I painted nests in flowering magnolia trees. And then I painted a big series of flowers, and then I painted a big series of uh, trees and forests. So uh, it just kind of evolves. And in between all that, I was also doing some of the la abstract landscapes you mentioned earlier too. Mm. What do you feel is the most challenging thing for you when it comes to uh, uh, coming up with your paintings and stuff mm. like that? You know, the most the hardest part is the idea. Mm. So um, you know, wh what is it that you want to express? 
and uh, what is it going to look like and can you make it look you know great and exciting and everything that you imagine in your head can you get that to actually come to life on a canvas that's really challenging do you have like a, a clutch to help you out or anything like that or do you have a ritual uh, that helps uh, I would say I just keep going. Yeah. So just right through. Let's see, just, let's see what comes out. Just yeah. keep going, <laughs> and then if you don't like what you see, then you just paint on top of it, you know, and you just keep going until you do like what you see. Hmm. Now, also, it looks like a, a lot of your paintings have been exhibited in, in a variety of galleries, including including Stanford, which is where you studied. Um, how how did that feel to you to have like your your art? for the first time displayed for the public. Yeah, you know, first it's a little nerve-wracking because uh, as a visual artist, you're there in your studio. Most of us work by ourselves, you know, all day long <laughs> by yourself painting. And you come, you finish a painting and you might think that it's good or bad or great or not so good, but um, you don't have anybody else's eyes on it. So you don't really know. So, you you know, it's your own judgment, but you don't really know. So the, then when you put it out in the public, then you start getting some feedback and uh, that helps, you know, helps you to know uh, where the painting stands. And um, uh, yeah, so it's a little bit nerve wracking at first. Um, and then you just get more and more used to it. And it's part of the process. Like if you don't put it out in the public, uh, you'll never, you'll never get feedback from other people. And that's an important feedback from other people for me kind of closes the loop. You know, mm. you have this idea, you convey it with paints on canvas, you put it out there for other people to look at, and they look at it and give you some feedback. It kind of comes full circle, so I feel like it's an important part. What kind of feedback do you think you're looking for? Uh, and I say that because a, a lot of artists, uh, not a lot, but some artists, I, I, I get different answers. Some people are like, oh, I hate when they compliment me, or oh, I wish they told me, you know. This is, some are very hard on themselves, and they kind of want others to uh, validate them. Yeah, yeah, you know, validation but, is but, always but great. But talking to you, you're very, you know, <laughs> chipper, energetic. I, I'm wondering, like, what kind of feedback would you like to get? Yeah, so uh, first it's just very interesting to get the feedback. So whether you like it or you don't like it, it just gives you some indication of how people think about your painting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, the feedback I'd like to get is, you know, oh, everybody loves my art. <laughs> you know, that would be great, you know, the people fall in love with it. Um, and sometimes, you know, that happens and uh, that feels uh, awesome. Um, one thing that's really interesting is that the feedback that you might get from a museum curator could be totally different from the feedback you might get from uh, an art gallery, uh, which would be totally different from the people who are not really, who like art but aren't in the art world at all. Maybe they're art collectors. Mm -hmm. They buy art and put it on their walls, but they're not immersed in the art world. The feedback from those three groups is usually very different from each other. Hmm. Yeah. How, how, how's that dynamic kind of? Ah, so, you know, um, museums, uh, usually want to show something new and cutting edge and you know relevant to whatever their mission is mm. um, so it has to be new 
like you know and, you know and in art it's really hard to do something new because right. you know there are millions of us creating stuff you know all over the world art's so, been around for thousands of years yeah, like, well, yeah. how new can it get <laughs> right right exactly so uh yeah so museum curators usually want to see something new and relevant to you know the place that you're in or the time that you're in or the culture you know something like that um, art gallerists also like to see something new. They like to see things that they've never seen before that they can sell. So mm. museum curators don't care at all about selling anything. They just want to show you cool stuff on the museum walls. An art gallery makes, uh, you know, is a business uh, that thrives on selling art. So it has to be really different and it has to sell. Mm. And then um, a collector, they you know, they'll like a variety of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be new. Uh, it just has to be something that they personally like, you know, that speaks to them in some way. So it's not, I feel like it's not as uh, constrained as what a curator is looking for, or what an art gallery is looking for. Fascinating. Now, on the subject of art and commerce, uh, what do you feel is the most important uh, aspect an artist should look for when they decide to put their art into the market? Ah, so if you're working with a gallery, an art gallery, it's it's great to find somebody that you like and trust because, you know, you might, they might be you know, 10 miles down the street or they might be, you know, 2,000 miles away mm -hmm. uh, and you've never met them in person, but you've, you know, met them over the phone. So you have to trust that if you ship them your paintings, they're going to, you know, care for them well and do right. their best to uh, get them out there to their collectors. So um, somebody that you like and trust and respect, you like the other work that they sell in their gallery or the other artists that they work with. So it's not so much about your own work to worry about. It's more about the relationship to build yes. with the commerce people. Yes. That's kind of weird way of putting it, yeah. but you get what yeah. I'm trying to yeah. say? Yeah, it is, a, it is a relationship. And a lot of people will compare it almost to a marriage. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, like you date. So you might uh, have a gallery. You might say, oh, let me try out your work. I'll hang three paintings and see what my, right. you know, That's my the honeymoon phase. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And then you can... You I do anything <laughs> for you, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can get to higher and higher uh, commitments from uh -huh. there. Okay. Uh, now, it seems like you traveled <laughs> quite a few places, <laughs> yes. quite a lot of places, actually. Yes. Uh, what are some places that kind of stick with you and the experiences you had over ah, there? So I've... I've been to over 40 countries and all 50 states, um, and uh, what things really stick with me? So some, you know, from some particular experiences, I, uh, I was in Nepal with two friends. Uh, it was you know, a long time ago, but it was totally amazing. We were there for a month. We uh, had backpacks, and we walked up in the mountains for three weeks. Wow. Uh, from village to village, places where no cars could go. You walk from village to village up right. high in the mountains. Like Kathmandu or something like that? Yeah, so with the Kathmandu is a city, and then you go pretty far from there and then go up uh, from there. And uh, the highest we got to was... Um, Everest? Oh, we, we didn't climb Everest. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we got to like 15,000 feet. It was, it was pretty high. 
That's gonna be a very humbling experience. Yeah. To find out how small you really are. Yes. In this in this world. Yes, and also you feel like you really fit until you get up to that elevation, and at that elevation, for for me and for a lot of people, you can you take one or two steps and then you have to rest. You take mm-hmm. one or two steps and then you have to rest, and you could be like super fit, but that's all you're gonna be able to do when you get that high. How was the culture in Nepal? Was there anything uh, creative that you kind of grabbed onto? Uh, um, so the people are really, really friendly. Uh, the villages we went to were really tiny. Some of them were just like a cluster of homes. And one of them would have a sign that said it was an inn, but really it was just somebody's house and they built an extra room on the side. <laughs> like literally. Just like here? It's like it's a studio, but it's really in somebody's <laughs> yes, house. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like that. And um, then they say they're a restaurant and they'll hand you a menu that some other English speaking person before you that visited them was, you know, wrote out for them. So they'll hand you a menu and you'll, you'll order something and you'll see them like if it has vegetables you see them go out to their garden and pick the vegetables oh, wow. <laughs> once we ordered a chicken it was american thanksgiving actually you know there weren't any turkeys there so we said all right let's let's order a chicken well they had to go catch the chicken <laughs> and, uh, so they said okay you know order it early then uh then we'll have it ready for you when you get back from your hike so we ordered it we went out for a hike we got back and they were unable to catch the chicken. <laughs> so we I had guess to that's off the menu today. It was off the menu. <laughs> now, you traveled to 40 states. Wow. Did you drive or did you flew across? Uh, so, some of each. So I've uh, done, I don't know, cross-country trips three or four times. Mm. Um, I drove, when I went to Stanford, I drove from New York to Stanford. And then when I went back, drove back. But also took a whole bunch of other trips, you know, uh, big chunks of the country. Um, with my husband and two sons, we uh, did a one-way trip from New York back home to here in Silicon Valley, going up through Canada and kind of also the northern U.S. states, so bouncing back and forth between those, and we did that. A lot of planes. Uh, uh, that was, uh, uh, we were driving, and it was a nine-week trip. Wow. Yeah, it was really awesome. Now, collectively, you know, putting all, all those 40 states into mind, do you feel there is a common theme that you could gather or about this country or uh, a certain lesson that you learned along the way? You know, I'd say one thing that really strikes me is just how different it is. Having grown up in New York and I still visit there every year and living here in Silicon Valley, you know, New York and Silicon Valley are so different from, you know, most of the rest of the country and especially, you know, kind of the inside mm-hmm. of the country. The culture is really, really different. You know, New York and Silicon Valley are really intense. And uh, if you live here, it's quite expensive. So you, you have to, you know, you have to work hard to be able to afford to live in those areas. Um, it's just very different ways of life. Mm. Uh, doing all this traveling how much of it have you input into your own paintings uh, you know I use photo references for my paintings but some I, some I just do out of my imagination so I think it's some 
like amalgamation of, you know, like my abstract landscape paintings. A lot of them have mountains in them. Uh, it's just some amalgamation of all the mountains I've seen in, you know, in my travels. So uh, some of it's just from my head. So it's um, just drawing from those images. Mm. Yeah. Now, coming back down here to the South Bay, uh, uh, how was it navigating the art world down here? Did you find that challenging or did you find that, you know, you found the right people? Ah, uh, you know, I think the art world is really challenging. Um, why is it challenging? The, uh, um, you I, know, there's no, there's no guidebook really to the art world. It's just wherever you are, you have to kind of ground yourself in who's around you. Okay, who's, what, where are the places you can show your art? Uh, what are the museums, the galleries, you know, where do you fit in, where, where do you want to fit in? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really tricky to navigate and I think the best way to do that is just to get out there as often as you can and if you think a place might be of interest for exhibiting your art, you know, go do something there, go to an art reception or some other event and check it out. And so then you get a good sense kind of where you fit or might want to fit. Hmm. Uh, it's, it also seems like a, a lot of artists here, I guess their, their number one concern necessarily is um, not being able to find buyers. I, I guess that's the biggest problem here. Because I guess there's plenty of opportunities to, to showcase your work. You know? yeah. There's quite a few, uh, a lot of galleries I've, I've seen yes. around here. But it seems like just not enough people in the community, or I don't know how to best describe it, are buying art. You know, I think that's true like all over the world. There are mm. more people that want to make art and sell it than people who know how to find their art. You know, maybe people would like to have more art in their homes. They just don't know where to find you, you know? Mm. Um, so I think that's a universal challenge, yeah, for, for artists. Now, how has your art evolved from when you started to what it is now? Ah, you know, uh, like a lot of artists, I started by trying to draw more realistically. So, um, you know, just uh, people, uh, places, things, uh, just try to draw them uh, or paint them realistically. And then once you learn those skills, then um, many artists like to go more abstract. So I've done that I've, with my abstract nature paintings. But my nature paintings are still realistic. You can still tell that that's a tree or that's a flower. Um, so they're somewhat abstracted, but I, I want to keep pushing myself to go more abstract even than that. Hmm. What are some of your influences when it comes to uh, abstract art? Uh, yeah, you know, I like anybody who's, who does something really new, you know, pushes the boundaries in some way. Uh, so I love that and respect that. So, um, uh, so I would say um, Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, really pushed the boundaries in what her art was, and you know, visually, uh, and and so I really admire her and her work. Um, Mark Rothko did these big abstracts, uh, color scapes, kind of, and. Uh, some people looking at them might say, hey, this is kind of weird. It's just like a red canvas or two reds on a canvas. And yeah, it is. Uh, but it was new. You know, it was new and it was very cool. And the size of them made them really awesome. Well, that's the thing about abstract art is you really got to see them in person to really appreciate yes. them. 
Yes. For example, the Rothko, it's like it's one thing seeing a picture of it on a book or mm-hmm. on a website, but it's another thing sitting like or at least looking at it up front and you're like, wow, that's just huge and the textures, it's vivid. Yes. Yeah, it's totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it seems like also that you have a uh, painting catalog available. Ah, uh, yes. So um, is that open to the public, or is that just for collectors? Yes, yes, it is. So it's it's an electronic catalog, and anybody that wants one could uh, could email me, um, Holly at hollyvanhart.com, and happy to uh, send you one of those. Uh, I also have a few ebooks that I've published over the years. The latest one is called Nature's Inspirations, and I paired 25 of my paintings with uh, inspirational quotes from uh, a really wide range of people, from um, Henry Ford to Beyonce to Mother Teresa. Oh, wow. um, yeah, uh, so paintings yeah. plus quotes. Yeah, so if you wanted that, you could email me as well. What came first, the quotes or the paintings? I guess. Uh, the paintings and kind of the spirit of the paintings and then I try to find a quote that matched the spirit of the painting. Mm. So how was that process for you choosing which paintings goes in the books? Because I'm sure like every painting is like a child uh, of yours. Yes. Like, uh, and you... Yeah, that's really, really, it's really hard to do. <laughs> and um, I don't know how I chose. I, in, in that last book that I mentioned, I wanted to have uh, a range of my work from my uh, nests to the flower paintings to the forest paintings. So I knew if I was going to pick 25, I could get about eight of each. So just, mm. yeah, just had to choose. <laughs> How was your mother's reaction now that you're an artist? Like, Do, do you huh. feel like she's like, oh, what took you so long? I knew you had it in you. <laughs> or was it a surprise? Uh, let's see. She didn't say what took you so long, but I think she's really happy to see that I'm doing this and uh, I uh, visit New York at least once a year always in the summertime and I spend a lot of time with my family including my mom and a lot of us all paint together so we have a really good time mm. painting together um, yeah do you, do you catch yourself doing uh, some patterns that she has done when you were younger uh, not not so much only because she was mostly doing this Norwegian folk art, mm-hmm. which is very, very stylized. Uh, and so I haven't picked that up. But when I look at her earlier work that she did before I was even born, I guess, um, a, a lot of it is kind of abstracted nature paintings. Mm. Uh, yeah. Have you been to Norway? Yeah. Yeah, a couple times. Where your mom's from? Yes, and um, it was very cool. I met up with some uh, relatives there, some you know distant relatives, and I uh, went to uh, the towns where my grandparents were born and visited one of their homes, and it was really a very special experience. How was that culture shock? Yeah. Because I had roommates in college that were Scandinavians, and there are a couple things I had to be aware of. <laughs> you know, for one, they're not as upfront. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. They're a little bit more quiet and mm-hmm. reserved. I'm like, like we'll be at the party. He's like, you having a good time? He's like, yeah, I'm totally having a good time. He's like, you're just sitting there in the corner. You're not, you're not, um, I don't know, it doesn't seem like you're having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I think it is harder to read. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, read Scandinavian people, that's true. Um, the, the ones that I met were mostly, uh, you know, my mom introduced me to them and they were distant relatives and we were kind of all happy to connect so maybe it felt a little bit you know more warmed up than just like a cold Mm -hmm. introduction um 
but uh, yeah, Norway is a beautiful place, and the people were, you know, really friendly. But I agree, more reserved mm. than here. Yeah. Mm. Uh, now coming back to to some of your earlier paintings, which you because I was watching, I was looking at the paintings you done with the eggs, and you said that those eggs, it's like the the life and the, the and the possibilities of it. Why three of them? Because it seems a lot of them have ah, three. a lot of them do have three. Uh, so, uh, so the answer varies, you know, and and some have three, some have five, some have two. And a lot of them so, have the shades of blue too. Yes. So really, just. Uh, for just for interest, visual interest and intrigue, sometimes I would put the eggs in the nest and make them different colors from each other. And uh, you know, in a real nest, you could have that. Um, uh, and uh, but I pushed it a little bit more than maybe what you would see in nature. Um, I picked three. Uh, you you probably heard this, but if you go to an art class, they'll. They'll give you a whole bunch of rules, and you can listen to the rules or you could break the rules, uh, whatever you want. But one of the rules is uh, odd numbers are better than even numbers. I did not know that. Yeah. So somehow, and you know what, interior designers will tell you the same thing. Anybody that's in the design space, probably people who, you know, who make, um, you know, cartoons would tell you the same thing. So an odd number, somehow our brains and our eyes just find that more interesting than an even number. So I, I do think about that, you know, when I make my painting. So a lot of the uh, nests had three or five eggs, but sometimes, you know, I did two or four, just depending what I felt like. What do you think that notion came from? That's an interesting notion to pick up. The, um, you know, I, I really, I think Silicon Valley is just so amazing and it is a place where people have this attitude that anything is possible. So somehow for me, I, I just, uh, I don't know where or how I picked it up, but just uh, it came to me that this would be a way to represent that anything is possible vibe <laughs> visually. Oh. I was actually referring to the idea of odds, numbers, and arts. Because, ah. you know, I've been told that symmetry is important. So I figure symmetry is, you know, if, if, you know looking similar. Mm -hmm. I, I correlate even numbers with symmetry for some reason. Mm -hmm. But now you're telling that the odd numbers is, is the way to go. It's like, huh, it's like, where did that come from? Like, Yeah, you know what? Um, maybe a lot of people in the art world would say symmetry is boring. Because if you look at one half of a painting and then you could predict what's on the other half, that that would be boring. So you you know want to create all this interest. Uh, so one way you can do that is through you know odd things and asymmetry. Mm. You know, and sometimes symmetry is beautiful. You know, whenever there's a rule in art, it's made to be broken. So <laughs> you know. <laughs> now a lo lot of artists would describe themselves as uh, solitary people. They say to do art, you have to be alone. You really need to. Uh, get those uh, creative juices going alone but it seems like you are very social you're really out there do, do you do you feel like you're kind of you know the 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 opposite of that you know I'm an introvert and uh, you know most days I'm definitely Monday through Friday I'm in my studio by myself you know almost all day sometimes I'll have a meeting with a gallerist or a phone call with a designer or you know things like that but uh, if I don't have, you know, a meeting like that, then I'm in my studio and it's by myself. So, uh, you know, I am uh, an introvert. Uh, you know, some artists collaborate with other artists and sometimes I think, oh, 
I know why they would do that. That would be kind of fun, you know. Uh, so, um, yeah. I mean, I, I love being in my studio and I love painting. And then some. It, sometimes it feels a bit too solitary. So it's good to get out there and mm. balance it out. Now, looking at your art, I get a lot of vibes of the fall and the winter. Mm. Is there something special about those seasons to you? You know, I would say from a color perspective... Uh, the fall is you know, probably the most interesting, right? The biggest range of colors you find in the fall. So in in the summer and the spring, you know, I do paintings that are summer and spring paintings too, but if you look outside in a forest in the summer and the spring, a lot of what you see is going to be green, you know, dark green, bright green, some yellowish greens, some oranges, but a you know, tighter range of colors. So um, I might even start making a painting that I think is going to make be a spring painting, but then I think, oh, well, that's just not very exciting, <laughs> those colors. So I add other colors, and before you know it, it looks like fall. <laughs> mm. well, those are your favorite seasons growing up, though? Uh, autumn is definitely my favorite season. Autumn, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Describe an autumn in, in uh, Staten Island. Ah, you know, uh, an autumn in the Northeast, because Staten Island's in the Northeast, is it's just really spectacular with all the leaves turning you know yellow and orange and red, and uh, it's just like in this full beautiful glory of of all these colors, uh, you know, in the sunlight sparkling away. It's just really spectacular. Uh, what kind of stuff were you working on when you were an engineer? Ah, I started my career at AT&T Bell Labs and we, what we did was we designed uh, telecommunications networks for uh, other countries. So I worked a lot with Italy, uh, also with Spain and, and the UK, but a lot with Italy. and. Uh, when Italy was first introducing its equivalent of uh, 1-800 service. Mm -hmm. We worked with them on that and designing the service and what numbers would people dial and then how would all the, you know, behind the scenes uh, electronics have to work to, to make that happen. So that was my first job. Uh, so it was engineering and it was customer facing. So that was like super fun. Plus I got to go to Italy a lot which is awesome. Check out um, a lot of art. Yeah, <laughs> and food. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sometimes they go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, and then, uh, so I started as an engineer, and then later I moved into, uh, I did a variety of jobs, marketing and sales and sales operations, and I was a, a, a sales director, so mm. I had some other people on my team, uh, uh, you know, selling high-tech high tech equipment to mostly to high-tech companies. <laughs> Were there skills that you picked up with that line of work that you apply to art that you find beneficial? Yeah, I would say the, uh, the sales skills are good to have, you know, going into the art world. Um, you know, in, when, from my experience in, in high-tech, in sales, well, you're used to getting a lot of no's. You know, no's are just part of the process, like, yeah. and that's okay. It doesn't mean they hate you. It doesn't mean they hate your product. It doesn't mean they won't buy it in three years from now. It just means not today. Um, so you kind of get used to that. And then, uh, w you know, with my art, 
making art and then selling it as a business. So like, oh, okay, well, that person, you know, is not interested in this art or this type of art today, but, you know, who knows what the future might hold. So it's, um, it's good to be able to roll with the punches yeah. like that. Because I figure that would be like probably the most detrimental to uh, any creative person is uh, rejection of, yeah. of your work. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's the thing is I don't... Because I've been I, there where it's like, I, I took it personal <laughs> when I shouldn't have. Yes, it's hard not to I'm much to better it. now at it, but like, <laughs> when I was younger, I was like, oh, what? What is it? Well, you don't like me now? Is this what this means? Yes, yeah. yeah. But I try, to, I try to think of it as, you know, everyone has their individual tastes, and if somebody uh, doesn't like that particular painting, that's fine. You know, I can still be their friend. <laughs> um, mm. So, yeah, I try to roll with it like that. So you handle criticism very well. Yeah, you know, I feel like I don't really... I used to be part of an uh, a art critique group, and I founded an art critique group. It was years ago where we actually did, you know, um, criti- uh, criticize, uh, you know, good and bad stuff, uh, each other's work, and I've been in art classes where the teacher would give you uh, criticism. Um, now, mostly... You don't get as much, unless you join one of those groups or take a class, you don't get that as much. It's just you kind of have to read between the lines. Uh, You know, either people will tell you what they like or they won't say anything. And then the not saying anything is like, oh, well, that means something too. (laughs) Now, art criticism is uh, uh, something like I'm trying to get my head around. Uh, What do you feel is the best way to describe to people who are not familiar of art critiquing um, like, h- how's the process like, and what are things that critics would look for? Ah, so, um, you know, it, it depends. Like, an art professor in an art school w- might have a different uh, approach than, uh, you know, somebody who's your friend who's an artist where you're both trying to help each other get better, uh, and that person m- might have a different perspective than. Uh, somebody who uh, works for the New York Times or San Francisco Chronicle and is an art critic. Um, so I would say the professor and the the uh, art critics, at, you know, the Times and the Chronicle, they're they're always looking for new, you know, kind of what is the latest. Mm. Uh, so it has to be very interesting and you know visually and the meaning behind it. And if you want to get up to those levels of uh, criticism, then you usually have to have a, a pretty um, <clears throat> prestigious gallery that's backing your work, and then eventually it floats up to their attention. And, and um, that's you know, those are some of the things that they think about. Whereas if you're uh, working with a friend or maybe like a friendly art teacher, they might say, "Oh, well, you know, this might." This, this realistic painting might look a little bit better if you took what's supposed to be the background and make it look even further back. And this mm-hmm. is how you would do it. You know, you, um, so it just kind of, you know, friendly criticism on how to make it uh, read better, you know, um, read better or uh, look nicer, you know. Mm. This is the second time the the idea of art being new has come up in the conversation. So uh, let's emphasize a little bit of what that could mean, because automatically I think when I think of new art, I think oh maybe something where it's uh, just different 
Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I don't know what new art will look like, but I think it's just a different style that it, maybe it could distinguish it, itself from others. Yes. Is that what we're talking yeah, about here? Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, so I've shown my abstract forest paintings to uh, yeah gallerists locally and around the country, and some of them are actually now in uh, Taipei for an art fair there. But I've so I've shown them around, and when I talk to the gallerists. Many of them say, wow, I've never seen anything like this before. And this might be a gallerist uh, or, you know, or somebody who's been in the art business for 30 years. And so when they say that to me, I think, wow, that is cool. Like, oh, I'm so jazzed that I've been able to come up with something in a style that's my own, that, um, that these folks, you know, who were all across the country and even the world haven't seen before. So that's important for an artist to have their own, you know, unique style. And uh, yeah, so that makes me really happy. Also, fusing Silicon Valley culture with it as well. Like I know there's a lot of 3D printing art that's coming out. Have you ever considered, you know, kind of going to that field? You know, I, um, I've been to some art shows that have 3D printed sculptures, mm-hmm. and they're uh, really, really cool. And, um, you know, I, I like going to those shows. Right now, I love the process so much, the kind of the physical process of having the paints and the brushes and the canvas and making things that way. Uh, I, I love that. So I... I don't in the near future see myself going to uh, designing things uh, on a computer screen. I have done uh, some design on a computer, designing kind of artwork, um, but I really like the physical uh, painting mm. better. Mm. Let's talk about your tools a bit. Uh, what tools did you start out with, and and how has that you know evolved to the tools you use now? Hmm. So I would say for when I when I first started painting, I did more uh, watercolors. So then um, instead of uh, canvases, I was using a watercolor paper, which you usually put on a flat surface and you use uh, very, very soft brushes. So um, that's what you would use for watercolor. Whereas with uh, oil and acrylic on canvas, there are you know, a bajillion ways you could do it. But what most people do is, you know, uh, have the canvas vertical or nearly vertical. uh, And then the brushes are uh, very uh, like strong brush hairs to be able to like push on that oil paint um, versus like watercolor brushes are really, really soft. So the brushes have to be stronger. And then as you get to bigger and bigger canvases, then you need bigger and bigger brushes. So Uh, A year or two ago, I bought some brushes that were uh, six inches and eight inches big. And that was awesome. That really changes how you approach a painting is to, you know, to have a brush. That's okay. A brush that big. Okay. So these big brushes are what you're using now. Yeah. Which I'm sure helps with the larger canvases. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) How about live painting? Have you considered doing live painting? I've done painting demos uh, mm-hmm. before, um, so I'm fine doing that. I like doing it. I've done a few in uh, Saratoga in the last year where um, uh, when there were wine walks, 
uh, Saratoga, there'd be like a wine, they call it a wine walk. People walk around to the different wineries in downtown Saratoga and uh, sample the wines. So uh, I would be there and uh, making paintings while people were walking around and yeah, so doing live painting. Yeah, I, I like that. I think it's mm. fun. But much smaller canvases, like nine inches by 12 inches instead of, you know, four or five feet. Hmm. All right, Holly, it looks like we're closing up now. We, you, you reached the hour. We're getting there. Yeah, flew by fast. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where can uh, listeners check out your art on social media and your website? Ah, thanks for asking. So uh, my all of those are my name. So Holly Van Hart, H-O-L-L-Y-V-A-N-H-A-R-T. So hollyvanhart.com. And I use Facebook and Instagram a lot. And those are both Holly Van Hart as well. Hmm. Well, thank you for coming. I think it was very insightful. Thanks so much, Ray. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Learned a couple things along the way. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know about that about art. Awesome. It's funny because I, you know, with musicians, I relate to comedians and and other creative people. With artists, I'm like, you know, how do they work, you know? Because it's, it's, I I always appreciate it, but at the same time, like, it's one of the creative fields that I feel like I can't really do. Mm, uh, maybe because you haven't tried yet. <laughs> oh, I tried. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, Holly, thank you for coming. Thank you so much. Once again, check out hollyvanhart.com for more of her paintings and more information about her works that are currently in display. One last reminder before we leave, and that is, please, once again, March 10th, save the date, the JMS Podcast Art Show happening at Local Color in downtown San Jose at 6 p.m. Check out the Facebook event page. Just go to Facebook and search for JMS Podcast and like the page and check out the event. It'll be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there. Have a good one. And next week episode, it's going to be a guest that was here previously. So look forward to that. And uh, and and that's it. Have a good one. I got to go watch the Oscars now. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm rooting for uh, three billboards and Kami by your name. I think those were great films. The Darkest Hour was also pretty good. All right, that's it. Have a good one. Take care. Sayonara.